Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is Vincent M. Wales, and the Psych Central Show podcast is turning 100, well, 100 episodes, Tune in on Thursday, September 27th, when we hand the reins over to Michelle Hammer and become guests on our own podcast. For those who don't know, Michelle is my co-host over on a bipolar, a schizophrenic, and a podcast, which is available on your favorite podcast player. Are you excited about that, Vin? Well, I'll accept the part where you're on the show. I mean, I have to be on the show. It's Do you? I, kind of, I mean, I'm, a, I'm like a founding member. Yeah, I, I was. I w- no, I am. No, I am. I am looking forward to that. It's going to be a uh, we're going to be doing a retrospective of our 100 episodes, looking back at all of the fun and not so fun times, aren't we? Yes. Remember how terrible we were when we first started? Well, I remember how terrible you were. Well, yeah. And now we're marginally passable. Marginally, yes. <laughs> marginally passable. I love it. Well, today we are going to be speaking with author, influencer, and advocate Tanya McKenzie about living with post-traumatic stress disorder, but more importantly, breaking free of the cycles caused by PTSD. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate this. Glad to have you. Well, one of the first questions that we have right out of the gate is why the interest in post-traumatic stress disorder? The interest actually came from my self-discovery of PTSD in myself, right? There were some things about me that I was concerned about that no one ever took the time to let me know could be an issue with some of the things that I had been through. Um, I witnessed a murder when I was a small child, and with that, I did not get taken to get any help. So I had been in um, a witness protection program. We had gone through, I was in a prison with my mother, facilities for women with children, and all of that took place, and never once did anyone say, hey, let me see how this kid is doing. You know, it's usually checking on the adults and how they're doing, but no one ever did that. So as a young woman uh, in college, I started realizing that I get anxiety and there are things about me that I was curious about. Like, why do I have times when I have night sweats? I'm not old enough to have menopause. So let me find out what's kind of going on with me. So I had some conversations with individuals that have been studying psychology and sociology and just some of the things that they were telling me started to ring true. So I did eventually go talk to a therapist and they said, you definitely could have untreated PTSD. And you realize this is an adult. I mean, it's your sort of uh, point is that nobody thought that a child could have the symptoms of PTSD and this allowed it to fester and become worse as you grew older. Absolutely, absolutely. And part of that is also learning that a lot of the symptoms of PTSD are very, they're very common. So if a kid's not sleeping a lot, a person could say, oh, well, they're just, they like to stay up. I've even heard this. They're, they're nosy. Um, you know, they just don't like to go to sleep. Similar things like that. Night sweats. Oh, he was eating sugar. Okay. I can understand how we can come up with, you know, simple explanations for things that could be simple, but you also got to think back to a person's experience. 
sometimes things maybe like a car accident that could cause PTSD. But people don't think that. They say, okay, well, let me, you know, take them to the doctor and they have their physical checked out, but never their mental. And let me not say never, I'm sorry, maybe some people do, but particularly in the African-American community, emotional and mental therapy is not something that we traditionally seek. Right. Does that make sense? It does. We're, we are unfortunately quite aware of the disparities in how mental illness is treated amongst different communities. And, you know, the other thing about PTSD is most people think of PTSD and soldiers. That's just the first right. thing that pops into their head, right? Right. They haven't been in battle. But at the same time, even looking at someone like me, I had witnessed a murder. There was gun violence. No, I was not on the battlefield. I did not have the gun. But even people that witness traumatic um, episodes can be affected and suffer from PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to a friend recently that works for FEMA. And even some of the things that they just see on a regular basis, right? Mm. Um, but it never dawned on them earlier in their career that this could be affecting me. So until they started to actually analyze some of their behaviors or lack of sleep or constant migraines, things of that nature, never even thought, like, this, this job could be affecting my quality of life. Well, this is, I think, what's very interesting when it shows how far behind we are when it comes to taking things like mental health seriously. Um, In your own words, you as a child witnessed a murder and nobody thought that that could have long-term psychological effects. I, I sort of almost understand it when people think that maybe what somebody went through, quote, wasn't that bad, but... Is there anybody on the planet that thinks witnessing a murder wouldn't have some impact on you? But it, it sounds like, from what you're saying, n- nobody gave you any aftercare whatsoever. They just sort of left you to your own devices until you became older, and then you had to learn this sort of behind the eight ball. Is that a fair statement? So this is a common theme, actually, in urban communities now that they're starting to actually realize, talk about and even deal with, right? So some of the violence that takes place in cities like Chicago, East Palo Alto, Stockton, California, you know, you start looking at some of the behaviors of the kids and, oh, they're bad or they're underperforming in school. Well, they have a problem focusing because they are witnessing things on a regular basis right outside in their community. And until recently, up until recently, those conversations weren't even being had. So at least now, they're at least starting to have the conversation. And even in places like San Jose and up north, they're starting to implement different types of restorative justice to start working more with kids that get in trouble in school instead of just suspending them. And even with that, you know, finding out really what's going on with them to kind of spark some of these disciplinary issues, right? And if you're a kid and something's going on with you, you don't know, you can't identify that. It takes someone that has experience in life to say, hey, this isn't normal. Let's go find out what's going on. Exactly. So I'm just glad that they're finally starting to have the conversation. But my incident happened uh, over 30 years ago. And we're just now starting to really implement processes that can actually identify, hey, let's you know take a step back and see what's really going on with this person or what's really going on with this child. So what can we do to improve this? What what other steps do we need to take 
to do better with helping kids with PTSD? I'm really working hard to have the conversations in the school districts and uh, youth organizations about restorative justice because that actually gives a process to finding out the real nature of a kid's behavior. So even supporting efforts in legislation that might come up about restorative justice or social justice reform, things of that nature, because they do take a step back and implement the process of finding out what is going on. Now, you know, there's going to be that occasion where somebody does just have bad behavior. Go ahead, deal with them, um, you know, properly. But when you really take the time to have a conversation, to look in the past, uh, to find out about any accidents or anything that has gone on with these kids, more than likely, you're going to find that they're not bad kids. I don't know too many people that are just born bad. Something is going on. So being a little more patient, being a little more understanding, and just having conversations. One of the phrases that you've used a couple of times is restorative justice. Can you define restorative justice, please? Restorative justice is a way of handling um, issues that save time, save money, and it actually addresses victims and their needs. So when things happen, let's say on a playground, let's look at it from you know a school perspective. If something happens on a playground, one kid hits another or they lash out, something happens. Instead of just taking that kid and going by the book, this is the rule, you broke the rule, this is what's gonna happen to you. They actually have a process where they have a conversation, they talk to them, they get them to understand the damage that they've done and they have to take the time to have a conversation with the person that they victimized. That might come as an apology. It might come as in some form of labor or work, community service. But it is a way for the victim to get some satisfaction out of the process, meaning, you know, an understanding of why they did it, an apology. And it puts in place uh, for the perpetrator an opportunity for them to pay back to society or their school for the damage that they've done. So in a larger society, that looks like, okay, a crime was committed. Instead of just taking that person and giving them, you know, 10, 10 to life, they have a process and every department is different that has adopted this process where they find out what's going on with this person, why it happened, and they're able to give uh, restoration to victims. It sounds like what you're saying is they're taking a more holistic approach. They're not focusing on one thing. They're focusing on everything that contributed to that event. Absolutely. And in that process, they're able to um, identify what the issue was in the first place with this person and cut down on crime and incidences that are similar to this. It's less expensive, one. Two, the victim actually gets some satisfaction out of this, which we are we tend to lose sight of. But even more so, there's help and understanding for what is going on with either this uh, criminal or the kid. In my opinion, I'm looking more at what's going on with the child. Why did that happen? What's going on with you? And now we get to look and see in regards to, um, you know, mental disorders, depression, or PTSD, how we can actually do better by them. Because clearly something was missing. For a child to jump up and do something, let's say, violent to someone else. We don't, we don't wake up like that every morning. So if it happens, there has to be a reason. And I think it's up to the adults to 
start taking those steps to find out, hey, what's going on with this guy? Right. Let's see if we can fix it. So people who are dealing with PTSD often have triggers. What can they do to avoid those triggers? First, we have to identify them, right? So if it was, if it was let's say, a car accident or a violent episode in um, a club, sometimes being in large crowds, that might be a trigger, but you don't really know what it is until you actually identify where that came from. So again, we go back to having the conversation and really figuring out, like, where did this trauma start? And then how we can better deal with that until it stops being so effective, you know, until it stops being something that has control over their life. Because that happens. It happened for me, actually, with parties. Uh, friends of mine used to tell me, you're, you're always ducking out a party. You know, can you at least tell us you're leaving? And I started noticing I, I would actually look for the exit before I even sat down. A therapist told me that's your fight or fight in, in you, that you're always looking for the exit. So when crowds start getting too big or too hectic, I will leave. So that's dangerous. You know, in college when they're telling you, hey, you know, be, a, be with a buddy. You guys got to be together. I will leave by myself before I would actually sit in a large crowd for an extended period of time. You know, that's an interesting point, because if we're really honest with ourselves, avoiding a party probably isn't going to impact our lives too much. But for example, avoiding work, if, if a trigger is work or if a trigger is riding in a car and you live, you know, in a place where you can't get groceries and medical care without riding in a car, that can be really, really impactful. So if your trigger is something that is unavoidable, that's got to be harder to treat and get around than if your trigger is something that is more easy to avoid. Absolutely. And that's where therapy comes in. So again, with us, we don't really embrace therapy. So we will do things like either just be anxious and have anxiety and have um, bouts of anger or frustration before we go get therapy. And what that does is causes more anxiety and makes your PTSD even worse. So now we're talking about, you know, at least a group of people that would prefer to just not feel great to feel awful than actually admit that I might need some help or my son might need some help. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face -face session. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central. So tell us about your book, please. So my book, A Child's Memories of Cartoons and Murder, it chronicles the murder that I witnessed, the time in witness protection, and with my mother in the prison for women with children, and a few other things that happened in life, including uh, an assault in college. But it is really about being able to move forward from trauma and events in your life that could possibly hold you back. So it's kind of a no excuses. We have to want our goals a little more than we want to just sit in fear 
or sorrow or any of those negative feelings, but it's definitely a testament to, you know, things happen in life and we have to find a way to move past that uh, to be able to experience more of the positive that life has to offer because with everything, it will come to an end. When people read your book, what do you hope that they take away from it? I hope they take a little humor. Uh, I love to laugh. I think it's the best medicine, and many of us uh, have said that. I have a few friends. We call it our tribe now, right? And we all have conversations about things that we've gone through in our life. I would love for them to get that there are some similarities between all of us. We have more in common than we do different. And at the end of the day, it's really a matter of how you move forward from anything that happens in life that was unexpected. Um, it definitely wasn't in the script, but there's always one foot in front of the other and we move forward and we make, we make strides, we make connections and you know, we have a good time. I have, I have two things to say. First is I was not given a script at all. So I don't, I don't know. And the other thing is we're not really fond of humor. <laughs> yes, the, the Psych Central show is known for being stuffy and humorless. That's that's consistent feedback that we get. <laughs> Definitely don't believe that one. Okay. I I enjoy just you guys bantered. I love uh, it. Well, thank you so much. One of the things in, in your marketing materials for your book, one of the things that you talk about is cyclical nature of problems, how if if we experience, for example, domestic violence as a child, we may grow up and in, in some cases we're likely to grow up to perpetrate domestic violence. And we, we need to end these cycles. That way, when a member of our family four generations ago does something bad, if four generations later we're not still suffering the same consequences. And you have some ideas and techniques on how to break that cycle. And I know you've talked about, you know, therapy and and being more open about mental health, but what specifically can you say on this subject? Because, you know, this is a big problem in our society, the cyclical nature of poverty or of illness or of suffering. Generational dysfunction will cripple you if you allow it to. It becomes a matter of personal choice. A conversation that's had on a regular basis in the African-American community, and this isn't a popular idea, but, you know, it's always the black people suffer from post-slavery era, and we suffer from things that have happened uh, systematically for years. It may be harder to make it for some of us, but that is not an excuse to stop trying. And there is no excuse for failure. You can have a pause, you can have a, a break from your effort, but at some point we have to take personal responsibility for the outcome of our lives and our children's lives. And once we decide I am ready to own the end result of this, we can move forward and not lay our heads on excuses or past historical events that have taken place, whether it's in the family or within a culture, we can do better. And if we don't internalize that, we can do better. We will be stuck. We would not have made advances in society 
Um, we would not have had a Barack Obama. We would not have done some of the great things in technology and computer science that we've done. We cannot rest our laurels on the past and the history because you even have people that are amazing and then they wind up having kids that do nothing. So what's their excuse? We have to do better. We have to commit to not allowing excuses to stop us from moving forward and take personal responsibility for the outcome of our actions. I, I really like what you have to say there. That's excellent. And, you know, I, I always quip when people say things like that. You know, it reminds me of an old Jeff Foxworthy joke where, you know, he quipped, he wants to hear somebody say, my mama was all right, my daddy was all right, I'm just an asshole. And it, 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 it does track that sometimes we blame things on external circumstances. And maybe that's true, but we have to be able to move forward. Now, some systemic issues are, are tougher than others, uh, certainly. Clearly. You know, some people, you know, they, they suffer from, you know, broken homes. They're, they're in really horrible school districts and neighborhoods, and they've largely been forgotten. And it's very difficult for them to find opportunities. And I certainly understand, you, you know, the, the notion of you've got to find the opportunities where you can. But at, at some point, it is easy to get incredibly beat down by having so many doors close in your face. What are some techniques to move past that? Because as somebody who lives with bipolar, I, I've certainly wanted to give up before. And I honestly can't quantify why I moved forward except to say that I was very blessed to have a good support system. Um, something that not all people have. With, with any disability, disorder, disadvantage that we are, uh, that we are, that we suffer with, there is something that you want more than to live in that space, right? So whether it's something superficial, maybe it's something goal-oriented, but there's something that you want more than to allow that situation to hold you back. It's an inner desire, something that keeps pulling you forward. And there are people that lose that angst to get past that. I had a friend tell me one time, I'm fine being fine. And there are people in this world that are fine being fine. That was a shock to me. But there are people that want more and you're going to see them do more and reach for more and work harder than what they thought they could. They're gonna work harder than they thought that situation would allow them to because there's something that is inside of them that's saying this right here isn't enough. This situation isn't enough. This um, disability isn't enough. It's not gonna keep me here. So it really, it's not a word. It's really just a desire that people decide, I want more, I want more for me, I want more for my kids, I want more out of this life. Tanya, if there was one, one thing that you wanted listeners to know about PTSD that they that they may not at this point, what would that one thing be? You know, I would want anyone that finds themselves feeling like something isn't right within themselves or within a child that they encounter to get help. Find a counselor and just talk through what has gone on in your life or this child's life and see if there might be a reason for them to get further help. We don't ask ourselves these questions 
And we have to stop being afraid of the answer. Part of the stigma with PTSD or any mental disorder is that people don't want to be labeled. But I'm more afraid of people not getting help. Very well said. People are often more afraid of what might happen because of the label than they are optimistic about what the realization, the treatment, and the support can bring to their lives. And it, it just shows you how powerful the stigma of mental health issues are that they are preventing people from getting care. Thank you so much for being on the show. We very much enjoyed having you. Thanks for being here. Uh, you were incredible. We appreciate it. What is your website? How can people find you online? So I am at TanyaMcKenzie.com, T-O-N-Y-A-M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E, or on Twitter at P-R-B-I-Z-M-O-M, B-I-Z-M-O-M. And hopefully we can connect. I'm happy to chat about anything, and I love a good joke. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks so much for being here. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. We will see everybody next week. Thank you for listening to The Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the Internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at GabeHoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counselor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at VincentMWales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.